Section 2 of Harper's Young People, Volume 1, Issue 12, January 20th, 1880. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Amanda Bast, Missouri, USA. Harper's Young People, Volume 1, Issue 12, January 20th, 1880. Lady Primrose. Begun in number 11 of Harper's Young People, January 13th, by Fletcher Reed. Chapter 2 Infinite Riches in the Little Room The words of the wise old woman of Halibush were true then. Here was a place where gems were more abundant than flowers, and as the child stood on the threshold gazing into the diminutive but wondrously beautiful apartment that had opened so suddenly before her, she saw that she was indeed in the peasant's chamber of a king. The walls were of pure white marble studded with diamonds, and from the ceiling, which she could almost touch with her hand, hung slender chandeliers of the same material. In each of these, instead of lamps, were innumerable sapphires, throwing a soft blue light all over the place. In every stone, a star seemed to be burning steady and clear and wonderfully brilliant. It was the Asteria, or Star Sapphire, which was alone considered worthy to light even the outer courts of the king over a country so rich in gems as this. The child clapped her hands, and would no doubt have shouted with delight if she had not found herself encircled by tiny men, all looking exactly alike, and all winking and blinking at her just as the gatekeeper had done. Before she could speak or even clap her hands a second time, they had entirely surrounded her, joining hands and kneeling round and round, singing as they went. Look as I'll be, one, two, three, and merry men all, as you see, as you see. Keep under the ground where jewels are found. We work and we sing while we dance in the ring. When a mortal is come to the caves below. So merry men all, bow low, bow low. For our sister shall be one, two, three. Three times did these strange and merry little people sing their song. And three times did they roll around the newcomer. Thus introducing themselves and welcoming her to their dominions. Then one of them, but whether the gatekeeper or another she could not tell, stepped forward and making a low bow, said, I am the king of the middle workers and the workers in stone. These are my people, but because you are mortal, we one and all bow before you. At these words, all the little people bowed and waved their hands. Then the king continued, Henceforth, you are to be known as the Princess Bibi. And he mounted a marble footstool that stood close by, standing on tiptoe, and placing on the head of the new princess a tiny coronet of pearls. Dumb with astonishment, the princess Bibi listened quietly to all that was said to her, and allowed herself to be led away by one of the little men, who had been appointed her chamberlain. It was now getting late, and she was glad enough to be shown to her own room, that she might think over the many wonderful things which she had seen. But here were new wonder, and new riches. Instead of being covered with a carpet, the floor was laid in squares of jasper. The windows were of pure white crystal instead of glass, and the curtains were made of a fine network of gold, hot back with a double row of amethysts. The furniture was of gold and silver exquisitely carved, and the quilt, which lay in stiff folds over the bed, was a marvel of beautiful colors that seemed to be now one thing and now another. The princess Bibi held her breath. It would be like going to sleep on a rainbow, she said to herself. For the upper bed was full of changing colors, now red, now green, 
and then purple and soft rose pink, and then perhaps green again. There was never anything so beautiful as this, exclaimed the princess, throwing herself down. And the next moment she was ready to cry with vexation, for there was neither want nor softness in the upper bed, and she lay awake all night, alternately shivering and crying. I won't stay in this place another moment, she said the next morning, <sighs> when the chamberlain knocked at her door. The chamberlain bowed, and held before her a silver cup filled with jewels. These are present from the king to the princess Bibi, he said, holding it up for her inspection. There was first of all a diamond necklace, just what she had been wishing for. Then there were earrings and bracelets of lapis lazuli of a beautiful azure color, String after string of pearls, emeralds set in buckles for her shoes, amethysts, sapphires as blue as the sea, and last of all, a large topaz, which shone with a brilliant yellow light, as if it had been sunshine that someone had caught and imprisoned for her. The princess Bibi forgot for a moment her hard bed and sleepless night, and ran to the king to thank him for his presence. I'm glad to find that you are pleased with your new home, said the king graciously. Did the princess sleep well during the night? Oh, not at all well, she answered, forgetting her errand. But I was very cold besides. Cold? Cold, said the king sharply. We must see to that. Turning to one of his attendants, who held a crystal cup, on which were engraved the arms of the royal family, he took from it a stone of a dark orange color and said, This is a jacinth, my dear princess. Whenever you are cold, you are learning to rub your hands against it, and you will feel a delicious sense of warmth stealing through your limbs. The princess rubbed her hands against the smooth stone as the king suggested, but she almost immediately threw it away again, crying out with pain. Oh, I don't like it at all, she exclaimed. It pricks and hurts. It is nothing but electricity, answered the king. You will soon get accustomed to it, and I have no doubt will be quite fond of your electrical stove. I don't want to get accustomed to it, answered the princess. I want to go home. Then the king's face grew dark, and his pale blue eyes winked and blinked until they shone like two blazing lights. No one comes into our country to go away again, he said at length. You are the princess Bibi, adopted daughter of the king of the mineral workers and the workers in stone, and with him you must stay for the rest of your life. In spite of her diamond necklace, the princess was actually crying, although it is almost past belief that anyone with a diamond necklace could cry. But the merry little mineral workers, seeing the tears in her eyes, crowded around her and tried their best to comfort her. Come into the garden, said one, and come to the gold chest, said another, and see the diamonds. Diamonds, exclaimed the princess angrily and ungratefully. I hate the very sight of them. <laughs> But I would like to see the garden, she added more gently. Alec, the gatekeeper, offered to act as escort, and the princess dried her eyes. He at least was her friend, she thought, and on the way to the garden, being very hungry, she ventured to ask him when they were to have breakfast. Breakfast, she said. Well, we don't have breakfast here. Well, then, dinner, suggested the princess meekly. No dinners either, replied the little man. Why should we have dinners? But at least you have supper, said the princess desperately, and feeling ready to cry again. What are you thinking of? asked the gatekeeper with an air of surprise. Then the princess grew angry. 
What am I thinking of? She cried at the top of her voice. I am thinking of something to eat. That's what I'm thinking of, and I'm almost starved. The little gatekeeper looked up with a curious smile on his face and answered, Well then, my dear princess, if that is what makes you unhappy, pray don't think of it anymore. No one ever eats anything here. Indeed, I cannot imagine anything more absurd. And being at heart a very kind and obliging little person, he came close to the little princess and said, I am sorry for you, indeed I am. But don't give way to tears. They won't turn stones into bread. I beseech you, my dear princess, baby, to look at our fruit trees and flowers. They are considered very beautiful. I have no doubt that the sight of them will help you to bear the strange feeling which you call hunger. And then, kissing the princess's hand, he added, I must leave you now, and go to the gate. Amuse yourself in the garden, my dear princess, till I return. It was a wondrously beautiful garden, as anyone could see, but somehow the princess baby did not get much comfort from it. Oh, if only those were real apples, she sighed, for there were what seemed to be apple trees in great abundance. But the apples were of malachite, a hard or pink stone of two shades of green, and when she tried to taste the grapes, she found they were only purple amethyst arranged in graceful clusters. The cherries were all of stone, instead of having a stone in the middle, and the plums were just as bad and just as beautiful. The cherries were deep red rubies, and the plums were made of chrysoprase. Nothing but hard, glittering gems wherever she turned her eyes. The poor princess seemed likely to die of starvation in spite of her riches, but she thought she would be almost willing to endure hunger if she could only have a rose that would smell like the sweet briar roses which grew in Hollowbush in her own little garden. For what she had at first taken to be roses were, after all, nothing but pink coral cunningly carved. The daffodils were of amber, and the forget-me-nots were one and all made of the pale blue turquoise. It is very certain that I must die, said the princess sadly, and she covered her face with her hands, crying bitterly, and praying that if death must come to her, it might come quickly. To be continued. End of section 2, Lady Primrose, chapter 2. Recording by Amanda Bast, Missouri, USA.